Good morning, church. Well, friends, we've made it to the end of the list. Nine weeks on the fruit of the Spirit, and we end with everybody's favorite topic, self-control. Oof. Come on, man. Couldn't we end with like one of the good ones, like love or peace or something? Self-control, my goodness. When I say self-control, what comes to mind? Guilt, yeah. What? Behaving, yeah. Dieting. Lenten fasting, maybe. Not saying bad words when grandma's around. I'll tell you what I think about when I think about self-control. Tortilla chips. <laughs> Y'all are laughing not because it's silly, but because you know exactly what I'm saying. I recognize that laugh. Um, I'm going to let nobody step on those later. Yeah, well, <laughs> you don't need a bigger bowl. I'll tell you why. See, you, you get to the restaurant, and the waiter, they haven't even taken your drink yet. They pop that bowl in the middle of the table. And you, you think, you know, no, I'm good. I'm good. After all, only a rookie digs into the chips and salsa before you get a drink. But then the drink comes, right? I hope this doesn't fall off. It'll probably fall off because God's funny. Um, <laughs> never dig into the chips and salsa until you get the drink in hand because you just never know about the salsa. You know what I'm saying? But, it, but the drink comes, you think, yeah, now I, I can do it, but I'm not going to fill up on the chips, right? Because you didn't come for chips and salsa, you came for fajitas. And look, fajitas, they're fine as leftovers. They're fine as leftovers, but they will never be anywhere as good as when that iron skillet comes out of the kitchen and it's like sizzling, you know what I'm saying? And the steam is rising, and it's like it, it weaves its way through the restaurant, and like everybody goes, oh, they got the fajitas. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You didn't come for chips. You came for fajitas. So I'm, I'm not going to fill up on the chips. I'm not going to touch the chips. Okay, I'll have a chip. You know, just like one chip though, right? But I mean, like, what's one chip, you know? Like, two chips, I'll be good. All right, there's a couple. Except now, now Jim ordered the queso. I'm going to need more than two chips here. You know what I'm saying? It's fine. I'm not going to fill it up. Pretty soon... I underestimated the time it takes to eat a tortilla chip. <laughs> you know, pretty soon, you get to the end. Oh, you know what my favorite thing is? Like, at the end of the, the bowl of tortilla chips, you get these guys. You know what I'm saying? And you're, like, trying to get a little queso on them. But there's way too much queso for this, right? Never fear. Here comes the waiter. 
fresh bowl of tortilla chips. And that, that queso is not going to keep. You've got to eat the queso, right? So you do. Basket of chips, good. What's a few more? You've drained a basket or two or three. And then out of the kitchen, and you realize, I have made a gross tactical error because I was only going to have a couple. And you know what I did? I filled up on the chips. I told myself I wouldn't, and then I did. But those fajitas are at peak deliciousness. So I got to have one at least, right, to get the experience. Well, by the end of the meal, um, there's no, there's no to-go box. I just re- request a wheelbarrow to get me out to the car, you know, because it's like, and as I'm, as I'm sweating queso and regretting all the damage that I inflicted on the meal and, and all the damage the meal has inflicted on me, I, I think back to the beginning of the meal and think, you know, some self-control would have been real helpful. I, I suppose, you know, when you think about self-control generally, it doesn't sound like fun. And in the moment that you're exercising it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel fun. But in retrospect, you might be able to see how much better self-control would have been than giving in. Now, you probably don't need me to tell you this, but we live in a world of ever-diminishing self-control. We live in a world of impulse, right? We've been moving steadily toward instant gratification, I mean, think about it, like, if you, if you wanted soup 200 years ago, it starts by grabbing an axe, right? You got to get some firewood. You got to build a fire. You got to boil some water. You got to wait, right? That was inconvenient. We figured out how to, like, you know, pipe gas into your house, and now you got fire. But you got to wait for that soup to warm up on the stovetop, and that just takes too long. So we invented a microwave. And sure, it's gross, but it's fast. Today, we are long past the microwave way of thinking. If you want to buy something today, like, there's no need to drive to the store. You just, a couple clicks, you know? And that package is on its way. It might even get to you by tomorrow. Or like if you do a DoorDash or something, somebody might run and grab it for you. You want to watch a movie? I mean, sure, the theater's great, but you don't need to go to the theater. You can't even go to the local blockbuster. That's not even a thing anymore. You want to watch a movie? Hundreds available. You just, boom, you're watching a movie. You didn't have to wait for it to start. You didn't have to see what was playing. You just picked it, and instantly it's there. 
You want to learn something? Google it. Have a couple minutes of downtime? YouTube will take care of that. Social media has got you covered. We're so used to things being on demand that many of us don't even take the time to consider if what we want is worth the time or the money or the calories or whatever the hidden cost of the thing is. And you'd think with people just having their whims fulfilled instantaneously, we'd be a very happy people. But I I will just ask you, friends, do you think this instant gratification is making us happier? I certainly don't. Sometimes our wiser and better selves regret the impulsive choices we made. And depending on depending on how much we regret those choices, we might even get discouraged or disappointed with ourselves. You might start beating yourself up. If that's you, I have some good news for you. You are not your failure. You are not your lapses in judgment. Those are things you did, but they're not who you are. You are not the sum total of your choices. You are who God made you to be. Your history doesn't dictate that. God does. Likewise, you're not your feelings. You're not your desires. You're not your cravings. What you want is not who you are either no matter how strongly you feel it, you are who God made you to be. So, before we turn our attention to the future, and that's where we're going, literally, all of us can't help it, right? Before we think about the future, let's talk about the past. Everybody in this room, I know some of you well, Some of you I don't really know at all, but I feel like I can say this with certainty. Everybody in the room today has a history of falling down. Sometimes in small ways, sometimes catastrophically. Sometimes in private, hidden ways that only you and God know. Sometimes right out there in the open. God has seen it all. He knows it all. He was there for all of it. And he loves you anyways. He doesn't dismiss it or ignore it or deny it. He paid for it. He forgives it. He died and rose again to break its power over you. You are not owned by your history. You were bought with a price You are owned by Jesus. So don't let your past drag you into guilt or into self-pity or despair. Jesus didn't die and rise again to leave you in a broken past. He's leading you into the future that he's made for you 
and that he made you for. When you understand that, then we can start talking about self-control in a positive way, maybe in a way that doesn't evoke guilt, right? We can think about self-control as part of that good future. In our reading today from 1 Corinthians, Paul points to athletes as an example of self-control. I find that really interesting um, because he's tying self-control to a goal or to a purpose. You know, it's not just like self-control is about like just raw willpower, just pure cussedness, right? It's about desiring a goal. I mean, let me put this to you. Just by show of hands, uh, how many people do push-ups for fun? I, I, I believe there are some wackos out there who might, but I don't know any, okay? Anybody who tells you they are, they're just trying to hype you up. But how many people, do you suppose, do push-ups? I mean, there's, yes, yes, there are millions of push-ups being done around the world each day, I would, I would speculate. Why do people do them? I mean, at the end of the day, you could say, well, my coach made me, or my drill sergeant yelled at me, or my doctor guilted me. Those are all secondary because they all undergird a commonality. You don't do the push-ups. You don't do the push-ups because somebody else made you, unless they're pointing a gun at you. It's not how it works. You're doing the push-ups because you want to get stronger. That's it. This is what athletes do when they're training. They put themselves through training because they, they want to become the version of themselves that they could be. They have a vision of where they want to be, and they do the things that, that, that lead to that. The, the aspiring athlete sees themselves, and they also know, I could be stronger, I could be faster, I could be leaner, I could be smoother, I could be better, and I will endure, and I will trade some things away for the sake of being stronger, faster, leaner, smoother, better. To get there, you got to say yes to some hard things you really don't want to do. you got to say no to some easy things. And things that are enjoyable, but that ultimately become a barrier to who you aspire to be. Every serious athlete understands this, and they exercise self-control because they have a vision of who they could be, and they believe that the sacrifices and the commitment that they endure are worth getting there. See, self-control, it's... It's based on where you're headed. It's hopeful. It looks to the positive future that could be. From a human standpoint, I want to tell you self-control is a a trainable skill. Um, A lot of people think, you know, whatever you got, that's what you're stuck with. But that's not true. Some people start with more than other people. 
fine. But it's a trainable skill. The more you exercise self-control, the more natural it becomes. And you really hit the sweet spot when those things that you're trying to avoid or those things that you're trying to do become a habitual way of life, right? Then you don't have to exercise a whole lot of intentional self-control at all. So if, if we can just talk about this as, as a human thing that you can build into yourself, why, why are we talking about this in church? Why is it called a fruit of the Spirit if you can just work it up? Well, practice, practicing self-control, that's kind of the how, but the Holy Spirit provides the why. The Holy Spirit provides the picture of who you could be which is, in fact, the image of God that you were made to be. Self-control isn't about, like, gritting your teeth and knuckling down. That doesn't sound like a fruit of the Spirit that also gives you joy, love, peace, right? Self-control is about pursuing the person that God made you to be. Because you're not your thoughts or feelings. You're not your cravings or desires. You are an eternal person that was made in the image of God, that was gifted and destined to produce genuine goodness in the world. You were made to be someone who speaks and lives out the gospel. That's how Paul wraps up this section, right? That's what he said. He says that he wants to live in such a way that his life aligns with the gospel he preaches, right? I don't want to preach and then have my life disqualify me. The gospel of Jesus, and this is so important, the gospel of Jesus, it's not just words, right? It's not just philosophy. I'm not... I'm not up here just trying to convince you of some points. The gospel of Jesus is life. The gospel of Jesus is victory. And it's worth saying no to everything else. We're not talking about salvation here, right? All this this follows from salvation. But just imagine with me for a moment how much impact we might have if we could say no to all that distracts and pursue living a life that matches who God has made us and declared us to be. I know there's folks here today who feel guilty for their past, who feel guilty for their mistakes, who feel guilty for where they've lost control. Christ has forgiven you of all that. And by his Holy Spirit, he is going to empower you and guide you into a new you. It's not going to happen all at once. It's going to be steps, right? You're going to have to come back to the well for forgiveness over and over again. But there is a beautiful you that God has made you to be. And the Holy Spirit is going to guide you 
and becoming that person. But I don't know about you. I do know about you. But I'm going to speak for myself here. I need some prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have laid out a vision for who we are supposed to be. People who love, people who forgive, people who in their lives demonstrate the gospel that we proclaim. I know, Lord, that we all struggle with self-control and that we all need your forgiveness. I pray firstly, Lord, that everybody who's praying with me right now would receive and believe in the forgiveness that you offer in Jesus Christ. Moreover, Lord, I pray that you will grow in us that self-control. Not that makes us uh, hard people or Pharisees. Lord, that's not what we're talking about. What we're asking, Lord, is that you'll give us self-control so that we can choose what is best, so that we can choose words that glorify you, so that we can choose actions that show love and compassion, that we can let go of selfishness and impulsiveness and all the things that drag us down, and that we can grow to lead ever more godly lives for your praise, for your glory, and for the benefit of the gospel. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us, most especially for giving your son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior, and for giving us your Holy Spirit who indwells us, who is actively renovating us from the inside out. All these things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.